Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Franny Benali, and you're listening to In That Number. And then they lift one over the top for Danny Ings. He's in the box. Oh, onto his left foot. It's brilliant. Oh, it's a fantastic goal from Danny Ings. He's done it again. Here comes Ward Browse. Hello and thank you for listening to In That Number. I am your host, Ray Hunt. You can find me on Twitter at RayHunt84. My co-host, Kevin Milberton, at Moscow Mush. You can follow the show at Number Podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and if you would like to drop us a line, send us an email to InThatNumberPodcast at gmail.com. On with the show. Welcome back to another episode, episode 71 of In That Number. Last week we titled it Subterranean Lockdown Blues. This week we've gone with Quarantine Age Kicks. (laughs) Like I said, the puns never stop here. Today we have a real treat for you. We are joined by journalist and writer for The Athletic, Carl Anker, to chat through his work and his thoughts on the season covering Saints. But before we bring him in, let me bring in my team, our resident statistical analysis, Statman Steve, and the big cheese himself, the Moscow mush, Kevin Milverton. How are you, chaps? Um, yeah, grand. Um, I think we're slowly coming out of the other end of this uh, coronavirus epidemic in, in Russia. Although, yeah, the, the stats are still quite high. Um, yeah, I mean, we're talking about different skills that we've been learning. Uh, Mrs. Mush actually um, gave me a haircut yesterday. Um, wow. Showing show out some new... Uh, Lockdown skills, but yeah, my, my skills are limited to uh, beard growth at the moment. <laughs> and Steve, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, it's um, 
sort of hit me a bit this week, knowing that um, it's been the, the returns of the five-day week um, after the bank holiday. That that was nice, but um, yeah, it'd be nice when the, the next bank holiday comes up, won't it? Yes, yes it will. <laughs> um, now, Kevin, I introduced you as the big cheese, but believe it or not, we've got an even bigger one. If I mean, if, if you're the mild cheddar, yeah, then we've got... Well, we've got the whole wheel of parmesan. Are you saying I smell? (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a preferred uh, cheese metaphor? I like to go with the more mature cheddar. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, I don't... What is is considered the finest of the cheeses? I don't know. I'm not... I'm not... I'm not big on my cheeses, but yeah. Anyway, let's bring in the superstar guest, Carl Anker. Carl, welcome to In That Number, and thanks for chatting with us today. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, sorry about the uh, the, the parmesan. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's all right. Very oh, quiet. I'm not, I'm not a big cheese. I'm just a weird lad who stares too much at spreadsheets. So don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, before we get balls deep in XG and XA and any other advanced metrics, let's chat about you. Firstly, how are you dealing with this lockdown? Yeah, not bad. Well, it... I've been in lockdown, I live in Southampton, on the bottom of High Street, and I've been, I live in a, by myself, so I've, mm. yeah, I'm doing a good lonely astronaut impression, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> are you, um, are you following government guidelines and staying alert? I am very alert, oh my god, I drink so much coffee to stay alert, and, oh, me too. yeah, I've got, I've, I've reached the tipping point where I now own more devices to make coffee than I own, <laughs> um, pairs of jeans. <laughs> we just cross over, mate. Yeah, good. This is this isn't this is good behaviour. <laughs> Brilliant. But are you, I mean, are you keeping busy? I mean, did you catch up with the the Bundesliga? Yet? I did. I did. I, w- I watched I watched the Dortmund game, and I got halfway through the Frankfurt game. And before we started this, I was watching part of the Hamburg game in Bundesliga Zwei. So, um, wow. <laughs> yeah, I I told all my mates that I didn't miss football, and then I think it was the third Dortmund goal. When and the ball like got to Hazard, I just screamed, "Hit it one time!" I went, "Oh God, <laughs> God, oh man!" I, I, I clearly, I clearly missed this a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, do you know what? I was the same. I didn't think I was, I was missing it too much. I thought it's the, the whole podcasting editing thing. I thought, yeah, I, I could do about that for a bit. But then, you know, as the weeks have gone on, it's just like I really miss football. Anything, I'll take it. So yeah, the Bundesliga is, is a really nice distraction at the moment. Um, we, we, we were chatting actually a few pods back about any new skills that we've taken up during the lockdown. Like Steve has, has been utilising his time quite well actually. Um, apart from the guitar, he's, he's taken up German on Duolingo. Um, but how about you? Like, have you tried your hand at anything si, new? Si, senor. Uh, oh, good. Eh, muy bien. <laughs> Lo siento, mi español es un poco mal. <laughs> yeah, Excellent. it's a little bad. So you, I, you've been doing the old Duolingo. I do. I pick up Spanish every now and then. I've been trying to learn Spanish for a while now because it's one of those things where I reached a tipping point in my football journalism career where it was just, I, I just need to learn Spanish <laughs> or one of these languages. Um, so I always try to have like a mini cramming session in the spring because I'm trying to, well, normally I go to uh, Primavera Music Festival in the June. Yeah. So it's just, just learn for two or three months. So I'm just in the middle of that spell now. So I'm on a 55 day streak there. Wow. Um, I have made at least eight loaves of banana bread. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had a go at doing the whipped coffee thing, but I don't have a whisk. Um, which it, it's really hard to do when you don't have a whisk because it, it does take like 
45 minutes I can before imagine, yeah. to that point. But I needed to, you know, use up the morning. So yeah, loads of, loads of nonsense like that. <laughs> have you been reading more, rinsing through a lot of Netflix? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm averaging like a book a weekend. Wow. Like just doing 100 pages in one day and then 100 pages the next day and then just like bang bang. Um, so I'm currently reading Night Train, which is a biography of Sonny Liston, which I would oh, highly recommend wow. if you've not read that one. Um, yeah, I've been getting into boxing, uh, and obviously I'm watching The Last Dance, yes. like everyone else. I'm glad you mentioned uh, I'm like a huge basketball fan anyway. Um, oh, so I watched The Last Dance, uh, and I tracked down, there's a really good documentary on Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. It's like 90 minutes long, and I found a copy hiding away on Netflix. So I've been watching that as well. Oh, so, uh, I'll, have to, yeah. I'll have to do that. I'm a big I'm a big NBA fan as well. Um, who was your team? Uh, Pelicans, oddly. Really? Uh, and I just sort of like, well, it was just one of those things where the person who got me into all these American sports went, "You should support the Pelicans. They're bad now, but one day they'll come good." And I went, "You sure?" Uh, and then now I've got Zion. Yeah, you lost you lost AD, but you got Zion. So. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm a glutton for punishment, but I mean because following Saints isn't hard enough. I'm a big Knicks fan. So oh. yeah, so my whole week consists Ooh. of me trying to circumnavigate through like a, the, the season fixtures. It's quite a heartbreaking process, really. But hey, you know, I'm I'm, I'm used to it now. Teams, yikes. Um, and yeah, as Steve mentioned off air, I mean, we've seen on your Instagram that you've discovered The Hobbit. Now, I'm, I'm, not, yes. I'm not talking about the book. Of course, I'm talking about the pub and specifically the cocktails. Yeah, I uh, uh, forgive me as we record this. I'm a little bit hungover because I, I drank a lot of the Boromir cocktail. Oh. Last night, and uh, yeah, that one really sneaks up on you. It tastes like vinegar. <laughs> That's and amazing. Then, and then you just hurt. <laughs> um, how many did you go for in the end? I got, I got uh, two Boromir, two Gandalf, and two Aragorn, uh, and I went through both Boromirs. Uh, so Boromir is uh, Dark Realm, VK Cherry, and Coca Cola. Ah, oh, okay. I think. I think there's something else in there. I think that's right. Yeah, which is one of those things that shouldn't work, <laughs> and yet. <laughs> when I was uh, when I was a student down in Southampton, I used to go there quite a bit. And um, yeah, this is the challenge we were talking about, where you have to basically go through the whole fellowship. And if you do that, you kind of record it down on a card, and then you get a free T-shirt. So I've still got mine um, stored away somewhere. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Proper university economics. We have oh, <laughs> a T-shirt for drinking all this stuff. You need to work it out. Like, a T-shirt costs five quid, and you spent like forty. <laughs> Kev, we've probably had quite a few of those a long time ago. Yeah, we've spent many a night on the Gandalfs. <laughs> um, right, OK, let's talk about The Athletic. Um, firstly, can you tell our listeners that don't know, what is it? The Athletic, uh, well, the pitch from The Athletic is to be the greatest home of sports writing in the English language. Uh, so started off in America in, I want to say, Chicago in around 2015. Um, some very, very clever gentlemen thought, why not? come up with a subscription-based service with journalists. And the idea is to have uh, embedded journalists on every single beat. So it started off in American sports. So you follow the Knicks, you get a Knicks writer yep, covering the Knicks and just the Knicks and whatnot. So started there, moved head office to San Francisco. Uh, and then last season, 1890, they tried athletic soccer where they covered the top six. And I was covering Manchester United. Uh, and uh, La Liga and then that went so well they went you know what let's bring it to the UK properly and cover the Premier League uh, and a little bit of the Championship so now all 20 teams in the Premier League are covered with a reporter embedded reporter so I cover Southampton where you've got 
some geniuses covering uh, top six and whatnot and relegation Meyer. Uh, and you've got a, a wonderful band of senior editors on top of that as well. So you've got people like Michael Cox offering tactical analysis. Uh, you've got Adam Hurry, uh, Mr. Football Clichés, just, just hilarious, Matt. Like the Larry, the Larry David of football analysis. Um, <laughs> Uh, and you've got that going on as well. Uh, and you've got like a slate of podcasts and the, the whole idea is to basically give every single Premier League team and six in the championship the same amount of coverage you would typically expect from Manchester United every single day. So the idea of being, uh, hyper specific to a club and have a, and have a, a unique insight. So the idea is when I moved to Southampton, I just sort of hold up uh, with four or five books after meeting some of the Southampton historians, and I've just spent the last seven or eight months trying to learn as much of this football club as possible. And the way I describe it is I've, I'm trying to get a master's degree in Southampton Football Club, um, and uh, now I have more grey hairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Steve, you've got a subscription to the Athletic, and you know, we, we, me and Kevin are on the the free trials at the moment. So if you, you know, if you haven't got, I'd recommend it. You'll be glad you did. As Carl said, you know, I've, I've been reading a lot of your stuff on there. And um, I follow the New York Rangers as well, and there's a writer on there called Rick Carpinello, who I, I've been reading quite a lot this week. So, yeah, it's definitely worth it. Um, but, yeah, can you tell us about, like, your journey with The Athletic and how you started? Because you said that you were you freelancing covering, you know, Manchester United. And how, how did the, the relocating to Southampton occur? <laughs> um, so... The, the story that is, uh, now published in, in British GQ and whatnot w- was about how there were all these like cloak and dagger mystery meetings in London as they were slowly, as like, they were like hiring and forming like an Avengers team of journalists. <laughs> so I was, I was vaguely aware of this stuff happening when I was freelancing for them, but they weren't talking to me at the time. Um, so I was, this is around about June. So, so the, the great, the, the big sort of apparent cabal hiring was going on around the Champions League final. So I started doing and I, w- I was in Primavera Music Festival at the time, so I was just sort of, the day before I'm hearing this stuff about the athletic once they launch in the UK, and I was like, oh, weird. I thought the Americans would tell me, but they didn't. So I went, well, I'm going on a holiday. Here's my last article covering Manchester United. I'll see you when I see you one day. Um, expecting thoroughly to be replaced as a freelancer and not blah, blah, blah. Come back from holiday. Um, I got a phone number, unknown I don't recognise the phone number, so I do what all 20-year-olds do. When you don't recognise the phone number, you don't pick up. Mm-hmm. Uh, another phone call, don't pick up. Another phone call, don't pick up. Get an email going, you should probably pick up your phone. Uh, <laughs> pick up the phone. Uh, and, a, and a very nice man goes, hello, my name is such and such, and I've been told I need to give you a job. I'm like, what? Uh, um, and then through, I think, like two or three days, uh, a pitch was made, um, and they you know, said... We're not going to put your Manchester United, but uh, the options now are basically see if you'd be interested in covering a London football team or if you'd be open to relocate. Um, and uh, the person in question went, how do you feel about relocating to Southampton? Uh, um, interesting. <laughs> I mean, uh, the gentleman said, um, worst come to worst, you can pretend you're in northern France. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, the city of Southampton has its charms. Yes. But it's not northern France. <laughs> <laughs> It's the Riviera. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so you were growing up a Man United fan, I believe, and in in the Sir Alex Ferguson trophy-laden era, what was your perception of Southampton? I mean, was it always like you were looking forward to playing Saints and grabbing three points? Really remember playing Southampton much in in my years 
as a Ferguson supporting Manchester United fan. As you can tell by my accent, I'm a hardcore Manchester United fan. Oh yeah, I mean, you've got all the all the credentials. Just stick <laughs> sticks right there. Um, I always say my my great sort of footballing education came about in the David Moyes year, oh, okay. where United weren't good, and I was just I remember, I remember once watching my United play in the pub, and I just went, "This is terrible. <laughs> this is awful." My foot, I went. My football team was regularly ruining my weekends, and my friend went, "Yeah, welcome to football fandom. This is this is how all of us feel." I'm like, "What? <laughs> what?" <laughs> I was like, "You feel like this? You, feel, you know, talking to my friend who was a Spurs fan. I went, you feel like this all the time for like 25 years, and you keep watching football." He goes, "Yeah." I'm like, "Why? You don't win. This is terrible." <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that was my sort of like, "Oh yeah, football is inherently about pain." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, always. Which I'm, I'm, you know, now I'm. Full, I watch more. I watch far more Southampton than I watch Manchester United now. And there've been times where, you know, I've watched the Southampton game at Saturday at three, and then the United game is on Sunday at five, and I've got partway through the United game, and I'm like, I don't even want to watch this. This is this is just too. Oh. It's not as entertaining as a Southampton game, which is uniquely irritating. Wow, shall we say? <laughs> New level of pain. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I was going to say like, how does a Saints loss compare to United loss for you? Oh man, I swear so much more. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, obviously, my you know, my job is is somewhat dependent on on Southampton doing well, and it's a lot easier to write about things when things are going well. Readership, people like reading good news. Mm. Um, and there was a there was a point partly through this season, I think it was around like December, where I just got I was just so annoyed writing about Southampton and how bad they were defending. Uh, and I came, it was after the defeat to West Ham at home. Um, and the, I wrote this piece just like, why, 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 why on earth can Southampton not deal with direct opponents? What's the point of all this pressing if you just get done when someone plays two up top? Um, and it was, I thought it was fairly balanced and my editors went, I really enjoyed that car. You clearly were very annoyed. Um, <laughs> and the article to this day, the headline is, uh, why can't Southampton keep clean sheets? It's because they're not very good. <laughs> We're just like, damn, I was skating that day. Whoops, a daisy. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I, I, the story that I, I sometimes tell was um, obviously one of the, I think it was the, the second home, second or third home game of the season was against Manchester United. Yep. So obviously, straight into the new season, people go, oh, behave yourself. I went, you know, I'm a professional. I'm not going to get too carried away. I'm, don't worry. I'm, I'm absolutely here for Southampton. I don't care if United, I, I prefer it Southampton and got a decent result. And there's a point yeah. in the game where Daniel James is just skinning Cedric Suarez all the time in the first half an hour. Uh, and there's a point where Daniel James gets the ball, knocks it forward, gets like two or three yards ahead of Cedric and Cedric's not really running. And I thought I had, I thought I just, you know, had the thought of get a move on Cedric. Well, and what I apparently had shouted quite loudly was "Get a move on Cedric Suarez." Um, I did not say "Get a move on Cedric Suarez." There were swear words involved, um, and I had said this in the press box, and two or three journalists around me just sort of stopped and looked at me, and one of them went, "Oh, you're a Southampton fan now, aren't you?" I went, "Apparently so." so I remember that game well. Yeah, that was the uh, the Vestergaard equaliser, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, I was there. I was there too. At last. The last true sighting of Paul Pogba. Yes. <laughs> um, you were saying earlier about how you want to get a master's degree in in Southampton. Um, and I want to talk about your work, actually, a little bit. And I've got to say that you've, you've taken to the club history so well and, and so easily, it seems. And that's evident in your work. It's really, really insightful. 
and I was catching up with a few of your articles in the week actually and um, the, the one that stood out for me was the 98-99 campaign that was that was a brilliant read um, that was yeah that was, that was a nice piece and I also liked the um, the piece uh, that you did on the managers from, oh, thank from you. 2000 that was good and uh, you like the categories and you gave Harry his own section <laughs> that, that, that's yeah, you are. I loved it it was um yeah genius stuff and yeah I say I agree I agreed with about 90% of it but I'm not a uh, Claude Puel fan now I know that Kev is that's fine <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you put, I think you had him in the section, you know, what, you know, what would happen if we kept him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, but Kev, you were a big admirer of Claude Peel, weren't you? Yeah, I feel really sorry for him. I think he was very hard done by how he can take us to a Wembley final and get sacked in the same season. Mm. I mean, I, yeah. I look at it the fact that we, we scored the fourth lowest amount of goals that season and we were only six points above the drop zone. And I just remember feeling really low under him. I mean, we feel low as Saints fans anyway, but that season was just awful for me. Even though the League Cup final and all that, and of course that was a uh, Man United final as well, wasn't it? Um, and yeah, but I know it did get worse under Pellegrino. But yeah, anyway, fantastic work there. Um, and another one that you did was the Benali on tour. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now it seemed like Kev when we were growing up in the nineties, they, they were everywhere around the city, and I remember we, we went to like Cash you know, cash machines and they were just right, dotted around yeah. everywhere. They had them in, in, I think they were in our school at one point as well. I, I've seen a few of them at my work as well on lockers in there. Um, but I've never ventured as far as Christ the Redeemer. <laughs> but um, Kev, have you come across any in Moscow at all? No, no. I mean, maybe, maybe I should get myself um, a load of Penini stickers, but um, yeah, I don't fancy sticking one to the Kremlin wall and then <laughs> facing a few years of some Siberian gulag as a consequence. <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, it's just, you know, in, in these times without football, Carl, you're still managing to put out quality content and it's got me gripped. So yeah, it's, um, it's definitely worth a read and it's definitely worth getting onto the athletic. Thank you very much. Um, I think at a time like, well, it's weird. I sort of had a look at the numbers and, uh, you know, normally during term time, term time, shall we say, I'm averaging around about 10 articles a month, whereas it, in April, I did 14, which is one of those, how am I more productive when there's no football? <laughs> um, maybe the football's just getting in the way of the athletic. Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> I think one of the, I think the best places out there, and it's not just, you know, the, the art place I write for, but I think the, the, the good sports stuff right now are the ones that are properly hitting nostalgia, the business side, um, and all, like the nostalgia stuff, the current, like what are people doing during the pause, and also trying to predict the future. And like, anyone that can, hit those three pressure points very, very well. It seemed to be to doing very well. And I think there's some really good inventive people out there. Um, I'm really enjoying Ryan O'Hanlon, who writes for the Ringer. He does yes, a really yeah. good sub-stack newsletter. So I really like him. Um, I just I love the Ringer in general, so I'm reading loads of that. Um, SB Nation, unfortunately, has followed quite a few staff, yeah. but um, there's some really talented SB Nation writers that are doing their own thing on Twitter and whatnot as well. So, uh, yeah, it, it's weird. That there's... Still quite a bit of creativity because it, it's quite fun now where you've just got enough time to, to try and put your bizarre, you know, 2020 football education on like 90s football and say, like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, when, the, when the season is in full swing, like what's what's your routine when writing? Are you like are you a note taker during the games or are you just like 100 percent focused on watching and then get back to it as soon as you can? It varies. So, the, you know, the, the thing everyone, you know, the athletic was very much we don't do match reports. So obviously, you know, yeah. it, after it, after a game finishes, you get a match report on the BBC, on the Guardian and whatnot. And the athletic is very much. No, we want to take our time and do. I call them debriefs. 
um, or, or do something with a unique angle. So obviously Southampton play nearly all the time Saturday at three o'clock. But the article that I write will nearly never go up before eight o'clock on a Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, so what tends to happen on, Ralph House has his press conference on Thursday at, what he now has it at one o'clock now. Um, so he has his press conference on Thursday and then coming out of that, uh, I tend to do my Q&A on the, on the Athletic on Friday at three. But so I'd say between three o'clock on Friday and into, up until maybe Saturday, 12 o'clock, I'm thinking, what am I going to look at in the game this weekend? Oh, okay. Um, so, you know, what, what's going to be the thing I want to focus on? I, you, know, half, you know, sometimes it's, is there a trend with the form book? Um, is there something, is someone going to make their debut? Um, do I think someone's injured and that's going to cause interesting repercussions on whatnot? So, uh, one example, uh, was, uh, the FA Cup game against, um, Tottenham Hotspur, third round, the first one, mm-hmm. not the replay. Yep. And mm-hmm. I, you know, Angus Gunn had played the first game against Huddersfield in the FA Cup, and I thought there's a good chance Angus Gunn's going to play against Spurs. All right, this is Angus Gunn's first time against Premier League opposition since that game, the bad game we don't like to talk about. Yes, and I yes. thought, I thought it'd be really interesting just to watch Angus Gunn for 90 minutes. So the Spurs game that ended in 1-1, I wasn't really watching anyone else. I just watched what Angus Gunn was doing, mm-hmm. taking notes. Um, obviously. You know, I spoke to his father a little bit before the game, and he saw, uh, a little bit afterwards. I spoke to people you know, close to him, and basically went, you know, this guy's been kept off grid, and uh, he's been hidden for a little bit, you know, since October, and now it's January, February. What's he been up to recently? And I just wrote about his technique, wrote about his confidence, wrote about how, you know, in the thirtieth minute he got more confident, but you know, in the seventieth minute, when Spurs went a goal ahead, he looked a bit nervier, and that was the entire piece. Whether or not that's as useful as a match report is, um, I mean, that, wow. that's going to be to this day. But I think the interesting thing there is, you know, here's, here's something, here's a moment in time that I think is worth looking at. Something different. There yeah. Have also, yeah, there have also been times where I've gone in, you know, mice and men and whatnot. Uh, I've gone in on, a, on on the day before a game and gone, this is what I'm going to look at um, today. And just halfway through the game, it's just completely fallen to pieces. <laughs> Um, so uh, the one I talk about a lot was um, there was a Friday kickoff, and I went, I'm going to watch this game with the brass band. So met the brass band an hour before, took photographs of nearly all of them, uh, took them down their names, had conversations with them all, um, found out loads about the brass band, and they went off to play their gig. I went cool. And I went, this is you know I'd written 700 words on watching Southampton with the brass band and what that experience is like. Um, that game occurred on the 25th of October, 2019. So I very quickly had to shelve that idea because within <laughs> half an hour, within half an hour, Southampton were, yes. let's say, a couple of goals down. Yes. Wow. Very, very good. <laughs> very good choice there. Yeah. That's so uh, generally speaking, in terms of the internal mechanic, mechanics on a weekend, if the article is up on Monday, uh, I've handed it in. Uh, by nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. Oh, okay. So, depending on what you want to do, um, sometimes I will write the article when I'm watching the game of football. Sometimes I don't start until full time. And I've done the mix zone. I've talked to people. I've hit the phones. Um, I very often, what I try and do nowadays, it, well, when the football's going on, what I would do is I go to the game, I do you know, the whole thing, do the Q and A. I don't tend to leave St Mary's until well, the game finishes at five o'clock. Sometimes yep. I don't leave St Mary's until half six. Oh wow! 
<laughs> typing and or doing phone calls. Um, there's a very nice receptionist who's just basically like, why are you still here? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I don't tend to leave until six, half six, and then I'll do the first draft. Be- I try and do the first draft before match of the day, watch match of the day. One thing that I just didn't understand, but, but you know, Southampton as a thing was just basically like, you're always on last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're nearly always on last. Yeah. That was a big thing that it took me a while to get my head around. It's amazing um, you stay awake for that long, to be honest. Truly, <laughs> I didn't understand that people went, you Southampton fans have been doing this for 20, 30 years? What? <laughs> Watching your team be... He lasts, so you watch like a 1-1 one, one draw, really? Ooh. I'm going to be honest, I watch it on a Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. Uh, uh, I, rem- I remember Southampton going first after a win, and I got genuinely happy about it. <laughs> uh, I tweeted, I went, oh my God, Southampton going first on that today. And then uh, uh, Ian Wright tweeted me going, you love that the club so much now. <laughs> 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 Which, uh, I was, um, that cheered me up. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I try and do my first draft of four matches a day, and then, uh, you know, match a day is one of those things of, obviously TV side is different from where I'm sat in the press box at St. Mary's, so it's very good for looking like, just double check, I got things correct and facts and figures right. Um, and then, yeah, by the end of match of the day, I try and finish my first draft, wake up again on Sunday morning, make sure what I was writing at 11 o'clock at night, Makes sense, uh, and then file it on on a Sunday, and that, that's that's generally how my weekends work. My, my weekends are my busiest weeks, and then, I, you know, coming out of that, I want to see if there's anything I can get out of that game as well. Um, and I try and I try and average like three articles a week. Wow, that's pretty prolific. That's pretty good. It's weird. It's not. I, I've written. You know, I was I used to work for a media company where I was writing fourteen articles a day. Oh my goodness. Uh, which was a, a, a completely different type of difficult and a different type of busy. Um, whereas now I'm, I'm writing three articles a week and I'm just like, okay, but you know, the idea is, the athletic is if you're, if you're writing less, you, you want to make what you're writing have more substance to yes. it and stand test my time. And I say the really cool thing about the athletic is I've never been told no to an idea. I've all, nearly always been told, can you prove it? Yeah. Um, and, uh, can you prove it is, can you find someone who was there and interview them? Can you prove it with spreadsheets and numbers, or can you prove it with mis- miscellaneous? Um, and they go through, you know, they're, they're, they're like mothership tends to to help you out in, in uniquely bizarre ways that I didn't even realize were possible. So if I'm like, oh, I want to write about how, let's say if I want to write an article about Romeo, mm-hmm. like you know, the other well, cool, you should go contact X person. He, he trained him when he was in Barcelona. I was like, what, really? Um, <laughs> which is really cool. Uh, I've never really worked in a, in a job that's been that supportive. And I think it, it shows because, you know, that way you get the best. The idea is if you're going to write an article about someone or football or about something, you can write the best possible version because you just have all the information you can possibly get as much as you possibly can. And just, and you know, you've got two or three days to write the article instead of two or three hours. That's great. That's great insight to, to how it all works. Really? Obviously, quite proud of uh, the club and the city itself. And um, I remember, um, I think Ray, you remember this, we were travelling around with a couple of um, uni friends around the country, cycling, and uh, we had a an England a travel guide with us that would read about the places that we went to. And when we got to Southampton, we read, and there was just a couple of lines, and it said that it was a a nondescript drab outpost where you could possibly kill a couple of hours before you get the ferry out of here <laughs> and uh, I was just wondering as an outsider what your first impressions of the city were um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story so obviously move 
the I say between the process between me moving and the season start. I, I moved here on the twentieth of July, twenty nineteen. Uh, had no internet because you know, obviously no flat. Um, had no internet. Had a copy of FIFA nineteen. Played FIFA nineteen high stuff. Got you to like figure out the squad. Um, and I, and I was like, and I was like, who who is this defender? Why is he so slow? <laughs> that doesn't really narrow it down. Hooray! Um, <laughs> and uh, I went to the library. I went to the library and messed around in the microfiche. Um, looked at some old uh, copies of the Echo, uh, and I'd say one of the first people and friends I met was uh, Duncan Holly, who is a official historian in Southampton. Uh, he heads up Hagiofrey Publishing with two or three other historians, uh, including David Ball. I went to his house, and he was very much welcome to covering Southampton. Uh, why Southampton? Well done for moving. And he said, if you if you want to learn this club, you're going to need these books. And like, he gave me a bunch of books. Uh, and this is what you need to brush up on. Uh, so I'm, I'm now in this weird thing where what the club website says compared to what Wikipedia says compared to what the book I'm reading says can be completely different. Oh wow! Um, but I'm always going to trust what historians and say. Yes. Um, that, they've just been studying far more than I can. Uh, and I, he, he, I remember when I was leaving his house, he went, "What do you think of Southampton?" I went, "Yeah, it's, I said this, 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 this," and he sort of looked at me and raised an eyebrow in that way. All <laughs> talented experts do, and he goes. What do you really think? And I said, the city's weird. Uh, <laughs> and it, he like sort of went, oh, he sort of went, right. What the thing a lot of people don't quite understand is it's, a, it goes, you're basically in a northern city that's just accidentally ended up in the south. Yeah. Uh, what? And he sort of goes, the, you think it goes the layout of Southampton and how it's like very high street centric. Uh, and he's like, you got to, you know, you look at some of the societal problems and I'm like, yeah, the, the, there seems to be quite a lot of homelessness, unfortunately. He goes, yep, you're in a very hard northern port city, just on the south. <laughs> and that's sort of like, went, oh, that explains XYZ. Like, he explained the layout of the city, explained like the nightlife, um, and it explained to an extent the football team, because I think quite a lot of people think Southampton is sort of this well-to-do middle-class tippy-tappy football f- football club where actually it's a, it's a bunch of hard nutters tackling each other all the time um you know franny benali is an absolute hero and one of the nicest men you'll ever meet he got sent off 11 times yep <laughs> <laughs> the southampton way that's it yeah i never really thought of it like that to be honest so i'm glad you said that but yeah yeah um, so what would you say the best and worst things about living in Southampton is? Uh, well, I think I thought to my boss recently, uh, when I, I like, after two or three months, he goes, how are you finding Southampton? I went, there's less burrito places, but there's more Greggs. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> well, it just, just depends on how you like your carbs, isn't it? Yeah, um, uh, yeah so it's, it's, it's a decent mid-sized town. Uh, I grew up in London, so obviously... Um, the idea of I can't buy milk whenever I want milk took a while for me to get used to. Um, and the idea, oh, it's three o'clock. I can't just buy milk because I woke up in the middle of the morning <laughs> and I need milk. Um, uh, uh, so that's a opportunity, but also, you know, the fact that everything's walkable and quite nice. And yeah, one of my friends who I made in the city just basically went, London's really bad because if I'm in one, if I'm in point A and I want to get to point B, I don't know how long that's going to be as a point of time because of public transport and just crowds. Yeah. Whereas I just don't have that problem in Southampton, which I thought was quite cute. Um, he's like, in Southampton, I know that is 10 minutes away and that will not change depending on the day of the week, um, which is cool. Uh, and yeah, it, it's, 
you know, it's it's just a nice port city. And, and you know, another thing that took me a while was the happy hours. <laughs> just, when you say it took you a while, <laughs> it took me like two days. Uh, so I, 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 was, I, was, I was looking for, I was looking for flats uh, before I moved. I remember I just looked at seven terrible flats, got mad at say agents, and I was on on the way back to the train station to go back to London. And there was a pub. There's a pub near the train station that's got a decent happy hour. And I remember like walking in and you know wanted a pint. And he said, "Oh, it's happy hour, by the way. This is three quid." I'm just, I'm just like looked at him like what? In <laughs> <laughs> okay, that weird sort of confused London, because you know I'm used to paying five pounds sixty six quid for a pint in London. Yeah. And I, and I just went what? And I went, no, I'm, oh, I'm really sorry. Is that okay, I went, mate? I said I, I remember going. What's your name? He's like, I'm this. I'm like you're my you're my new best friend. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I it, so I, you know, I spent some time working in Washington once, um, and um, someone explained to me if your city has a problem with rush hour traffic your bars tend to develop a happy hour culture. Uh, uh, and I don't drive, but I can only imagine rush hour in Southampton must be hell because everyone's got happy hour around here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it is apparently. Um, I mean, apart from burritos and milk at any hour, um, is there anything else that you really miss about London? Uh, takeaway offerings, I should suppose. It's just sort of, if I want any form of food in London, I can get it. If, it, you know, if I want Peruvian or Bolivian or... Japanese, Korean, or Brazilian, I can I can get what I want. Whereas in Southampton, I can get three or four types, but also twelve I can't. Um, to which my mum has just been like, "We'll just learn how to make it yourself." <laughs> so I'm a better chef. <laughs> no, I like Southampton. It's it's definitely with, with charm. Um, another thing, uh, a Southampton fan. It, it, it's very nice kid called Alex took me to a preseason game introduced me to a couple of his mates and he went oh this is so and so um, they went and Carl's moved from London and he, this guy looks me up and down and goes are you in witness protection like, what <laughs> <laughs> why on earth would you trade London for Southampton well you know so I'm here to cover the football team he's like this 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 and he uh, I remember Alex was explaining to me he goes yeah he goes everything's kind of like flat and low and the city's a bit ugly but we're really proud of it because it's a whole load from the war. Like the only cities that were bombed more in World War Two were Coventry and London. Mm. And Coventry now has all that weird brutalist architecture because uh, they rebuilt everything. Really yeah, they've quickly. kind of got and, like a half and half cathedral in, in Coventry, haven't they? Like part of old, and they've rebuilt half of it. It looks um, it's quite yeah. weird. And uh, Southampton has rebuilt everything, and it's quite like low and flat roofed. Uh, and it, you know, it's not the prettiest, but Southampton people are really, really proud of how not pretty their city is because it means. Is basically, you know, showing off your war wounds. And when I figure that out as well, and oh, this also explains why their football team likes the way they do. And their fan base does that stuff. And I think that's, that's cool. Southampton people are very unashamed of how, um, hardy they are. Which is cool. And also makes me even more baffled that everyone thinks they're middle class and hoity twenty. <laughs> yeah, I, I was a student in Southampton for about four years. And, um, yeah, kind of got to sample lots of different bits of Southampton. Um, and I was going to ask what what has been your favourite pub um, that you've been to since you've been living in Southampton, Carl? Um, I'm really sad because I used to go to Five Rivers a lot, and the Five Rivers unfortunately has closed its doors for good. Oh, oh I didn't even know no. this. I didn't know. You did not. No, I didn't oh, know. No. I'm very sorry. Um, yeah, the Five Rivers is now it, it decided to close its doors for good um, during this break. Um, yeah, quite sad about that. Oh yeah. Um, I quite like Shenanigans, which is the Irish pub on Bedford Place. Yep, 
Oh, okay. Um, I used to go to... Um, I love video games, so I've been to uh, Flynn's, which is the hidden video game pub. Uh, so I go there quite often. Uh, the guide dog's quite fun. Oh, okay. I used to live around the corner from the guide dog. <laughs> oh, very good. Uh, and I, I, well, I live right next to the German beer house as well, so... Uh, okay. I've, I've had quite a few steins watching Champions League football. <laughs> uh, and, and the crown bin is lovely, um, to the point where, like, the owner very, you know, saw me, like, very frustratingly trying to use my phone in there. And there's no, like you said, there's no signal here. The idea is you talk to each other and then, like, you sort of look me up and down and just went, <laughs> do you just want the Wi-Fi code? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the crown bin is quite fun and I drink in there as well. But it's one of those annoying things where sort of, because I'm working, I work from home. Um, and I w- I'm, I'm working every single Saturday, so I don't have the, the, you know, the pints sure. in the way I would like to have the pints. So, as I've said to all Southampton fans, if you are needing a drinking partner, please send me a DM, and I will gladly turn up and buy you a pint. Just don't talk to me about football, because it's my job, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, kind of my experience of Southampton is lots of um, student-y kind of clubs and pubs. I don't know if you heard of jesters before that's got quite a good reputation um and uh yeah it's just just quite a few different bits kind of um spotted around really like i, I don't know if you've heard of manzils as well it's yes. a famous curry house yeah students um going out at 3am for their curry um but yeah another question i was going to ask is so southampton's quite a big student city have you have you kind of noticed that have you sort of you know picked up that kind of vibe since you've been there oh yeah I, I think when I saw some pubs advertising like two pound vodka red bulls on it, I went, ah, ah, students, that's good. <laughs> uh, and then like, I can't, obviously Wednesday night is sports night for, for nearly every single university. That's right. Um, yeah. So obviously if I like walk around town on a Wednesday, there are some places, especially around Bedford Place, which is just ramoed. Oh my, ah, I remember being 19. Uh, <laughs> seeing like people dressed up as cops and rubbers and whatnot, which is fun. Um, it's just like, you know, I've done, I think I've, I've given a Zoom lecture to University of Southampton students and I've had quite, Southampton Solo's got a very good journalism course and I've, um, I've had quite a few of the students there ask for help with their dissertations and that's all sort of like, oh yeah, this is, this is what I used to do. And my mum's a lecturer as well, so I'm, I'm trying to help out as much as I can. So yeah, oh yeah. And obviously it's one of those things of, it is a student city, which means every now and again I'll just be walking down the street. And I'm like, ah, yes. <laughs> um, okay, the feeling it's a shame about the Five Rivers. Like it's going to be like the day after tomorrow. So we all wake up after the lockdown, and what sort of city we're going to walk out into? I don't know what I'm going to be coming back to. <laughs> but I mean, as for the Premier League, um, what are your thoughts on Project Restart? Um, because we're looking at the Bundesliga and what they're doing, um, and looks like the FA and Premier League are going to uh, allow uh, fixtures to restart sometime soon. Um, what do you think is the best way of dealing with the situation? I'm going to take off my journalist hat right now and give you my Carl Anker as a hangover 29-year-old um, <laughs> opinion. Uh, I, I thoroughly expect football to return in some shape or form in the next six weeks as a sort of, we can't delay things much longer. Uh, and there's just too, you know, football's a multi-billion pound dollar industry and, you know, the thousands upon thousands of people's livelihoods depend on it. Not just, not just the footballers, but, you know, people, you know, journalists, 
TV broadcasters, TV people, photographers, um, med- physios, coaches. Um, one thing I, I like mentioned to my friend two or three days ago, and I said again yesterday, was it was really weird. Just if you watched any of the Bundesliga games this weekend, wasn't it really weird seeing a betting hand again? <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> just like we went eight weeks with no Ray Winston uh, and, uh, <laughs> it, it was just like that sort of weird surreal like oh yeah this is this is this this was a thing we've normalised um, there wasn't like, any plaque to bet in yeah it's like I didn't I didn't I didn't I didn't miss this uh, but and then seeing it again I was like oh yeah I, for, I forgot this was this was a reality for just years um, yeah I, I expect football to be back in some shape or form in six weeks basically because it did it unfortunately reached a tipping point for a lot of interested parties. Um, I, 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 I take the opinion of Danny Rose and Troy Deeney and Tammy Abraham and a lot of, well, I take the opinion of those gentlemen. I don't just like bringing back football before you have any form of vaccine is not smart. Um, I, I wouldn't like it, but I understand people need football and uh you know for for much as i say i don't want football to come back i got really happy when the bundesliga came back so <laughs> this is the really difficult thing and i think i think a lot of the conversations we've we've seen and had recently and there's been some you know really good reporting in the athletic about it and on the bbc and on the guardian and whatnot and i try i try and read as much as i can but also i don't read too much because it makes me really anxious <laughs> like really anxious reading about the future of all because it's just it, it throws so many weird per, like possibilities and numbers up to me. Um, and I think we should probably discuss the human a lot more rather than just Ness bring football back because you got to bring football back. But also, like you know, when Tammy Abraham said, you know, he's got family members that have asthma or whatnot, and, you know, and what's that like when he goes home? I'm like, that's a damn good point. Uh, and I prefer thinking about stuff like that. I'm not sure. Yeah, but I mean, I suppose it, bringing back anything um, before yeah. there's a vaccine is going to be dangerous. So I don't, I don't see why football should be an exception. I mean, again, you can't you can't close down the whole of society, you know, forever. No, you cannot. Um, but in, in like you know, my very naive Captain America in uh, Infinity War, <laughs> but you probably should. Um, no, football, I you know, I, I, my personal opinion is is football will be back in some shape or form in six weeks. Um, to put back on my journalist hat, the, the, I think what's really interesting is how football and the discussions of football has, has seen like some really, it's just basically revealed the massive inequality and the huge Gordian knot that's been going on for years and years and years. And uh, like the, the differences between the EFL and the Premier League. Um, and, and I think it's really interesting seeing every single club argue a compelling argument for football being brought back in some shape or form and then another football club making a counter-argument. Mm. So, Karen Brady... No. Karen Brady... I, I thought what Karen Brady said was really, really brave. Just like, look, I, I'm in charge of West Ham. I have a vested interest in West Ham not getting relegated. So, could you not avoid it? And I was like, yeah. oh. I was like, oh, good on you for your honesty. Um, you don't ask, <laughs> you don't get, yeah. Yeah, no, I was like, fair, fair, fair enough for being honest in the way you want to be honest. Um, yeah, so arguments about why you should not avoid it, um, arguments about why you should give it to, to Liverpool, um, arguments as to why you should do points per game, arguments as to why you should just do it, just have it as is, uh, and, and the counter arguments 
every, like every day I'm going, yeah, you know, that makes sense. And then someone else will give a count on it. You know what? That also makes sense. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no obvious solution, is there? I mean, but I mean, do you think the the model that the Bundesliga is following is is the right path for the Premier League? I, I don't know if it's right or wrong. Also, because you know how England dealt with COVID nineteen is dramatically different from Germany, uh, and uh, uh, I, I will make no secret of my political leanings. If you follow me on social media. Um, I think the UK handled it particularly badly, and I think that's why these conversations have gone on for a bit longer than they have in Germany, who, who acted far more sensibly. Um, I spent this, I've spent this weekend like talking to my New Zealand friends who are now meeting each other up because they just immediately went into lockdown and they had no new cases of COVID in five days. And you're like, ah, oh, well that seems responsible. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and then you got going. They, she was it. She said, um, "Yeah, we're going in fast and we're going hard." And yep. Boris's was uh, what was it herd immunity? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that worked out well, didn't it? <laughs> I mean, the interesting thing was the with the Bundesliga coming back this weekend was. Uh, so I, I always I don't say love. I I find it quite interesting watching football games behind closed doors because. Uh, for all the money, all the artifice and, and the amount of branding you can do and the way we like to present football as as like a slick film, when you watch Behind Closed Doors, you're like, oh yeah, this is a play. This is theatre. Sometimes things go wrong. And uh, when you watch Behind Closed Doors, it's like you're watching a rehearsal of a play because you can hear all the shouts, you can hear things go wrong, you hear the <laughs> yeah. false, you can hear the shouts. Um, so that was cool. Uh, Harlan's uh, socially distant celebration I thought was cool. The, <laughs> yes, very much... Yeah. <laughs> the very much non-socially distant celebration in the Hertha Berlin game was quite mm. cool. Uh, I did. I, I winced when the player sucked his thumb. I was like, "Don't do that." <laughs> uh, At least it was his own thumb. Yeah, uh, Patrick Van Aanholt made a very. He, he made one of those observations where you can be right and wrong at the same time. So Van Aanholt went, "Why are the substitutes sat one meter apart, Holt wearing masks?" Where they've been in the same dressing room and they're going to, you know, charge around the pitch touching each other in a bit. Um, and he goes, they shouldn't, they don't need to wear masks. It's, it's all for show. Uh, and then someone went, yeah. well, playing football is for show right now, isn't it? And he's just all like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think as well, I sort of, um, drawing the comparisons between the Bundesliga and then the Premier League, which hopefully will be, you know, coming back in the next few weeks. Um, I just thought, Carl, could I sort of get your opinions on, you know, like the new, the new rule, um, changes? We sort of saw the five subs come in in the Bundesliga. I think Schalke, um, has really made history being the first club ever in the Bundesliga to, uh, to make five subs. Um, but I think quite a lot of these, um, rule changes are, are quite similar. So I just kind of wanted to get your, your thoughts on that. How do, how do you think it will go having seen the Bundesliga yesterday? Um, Mike Cox wrote a good piece about the five subs. Uh, which is basically to the effect of just make sure it's only a temporary change because if, if you keep this in stone, you, again, you just see a massive momentum swing in favour of the bigger clubs, mm-hmm. um, larger squads. You know, if I, I've wrote a piece about Southampton's substitute habits uh, earlier in the season and like how Ralph is very fond of, of substituting. He, well, at the start of the season, he would substitute always in the 60th minute mark, mm. and then he started making later substitutions around about to like 75 and 78. And now he's gone back to making earlier subs. I, rem- I pointed this out to Ralph, and he looked at me really weird, just sort of like, "Why do you watch my team so much?" <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, yeah, and and you know, 
Ralph rarely makes three substitutions in the game. Yeah. Also like that, he doesn't got the really, you know, teams like that don't really have the squad for it. But, um, yeah, temporary changes like five subs. I think it's, it's smart now uh, due to COVID. Um, Musa Okwonga, who's a fantastic, um, poet and journalist and musician, uh, raised an interesting point about how you, you, you might just see just loads more debuts for younger players or just clubs being like, you know what? This, this is kind of a free hit. Mm, that's in, a very in, good point. Yeah. In the eight or nine games that we've got left. Uh, and you're quite young, so you, you know, you, you can maintain your weird, youthful body stamina longer than some of the older people who have been training exercise bikes recently, so I'm just going to play the <laughs> youngsters. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised that more clubs in relative mid-table safeness are going to play more youngsters. Um, you saw yesterday in yesterday in the Bundesliga this weekend, a lot of people's first touch were just like eroded because <laughs> obviously uh, corner t- corners were a bit weird in, in the uh, Schalke game and in the Frankfurt game Frank um, as well. And just sort of like, oh, there's like a little bit of ring rust everywhere, which I think is going to be really interesting. I, I wouldn't, I'm always scared of Sean Dyche's Burnley side because <laughs> I think, I think it's Sean Dyche is a, what I'm, you know, I talk about XG and, and analytics and, and big numbers and you know, the joke for a while is basically Sean Dyche breaks XG. <laughs> a lot, most XG models and whatnot can't quite figure out how Burnley work because very, they do something that's just quite hard to quantify in terms of static movements, especially in the way they defend. Um, so there's either, th- you know, that's, that's the sensible reason as to why he breaks actually the, but every now and again you get a game, you're like, no, he's, he's a demon, he's a devil. Um, and I think, you know, the way Bernie play, a relative low block, direct football, playing off second balls and flick ons and that randomness element. If you've not played football for two or three months, why? Yes. yes pumping it along, pumping it along to the big man might be quite, the, might be the most effective movement. That's uh, a very good point, yeah. So, so there's like stuff like that that I'm going to be really interested in. And like, you're not going to be able to play a high pressing game after two months. Off. No. <laughs> um, I'm thoroughly expecting the way, you know, if, if or when the Premier League comes back or if or when English football does come back, it's going to resemble Community Shield style pre-season games for a little bit, which Leads me to believe the teams that play direct football and intelligent football and, and football that's really, really smart on set pieces will do well. Basically, I'm saying Burnley are going to end up in Europa League play. <laughs> and Saints are going to get relegated. Not saying. What do you make of the idea of neutral venues? Um, I mean, we saw in the Bundesliga that there weren't really too many problems with uh, fans congregating around the stadiums. Although, I mean, Liverpool would take the title. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Maybe have all neutral venues. Uh, sorry, have uh, everyone plays at the normal venue except Liverpool. <laughs> um, uh, Rafa Hongstein, Rafa. I just call him Rafa because he's my mate now, which is quite nice. Uh, he was on Football Focus on Saturday, and he was on. He, he covered the game on BT Sport, and on Football Focus, he, he said words to the effect of, "Just like German football fans know better than to congregate outside a football ground. Right now, they understand." that the world is watching and they need to behave themselves. So that's not really a factor. And uh, I've got a horrible feeling that the key word in that sentence is German football fans. Yes. <laughs> no, I, I trust I trust, I trust, trust English football fans a lot. More. And I don't I, know. I think, I don't know. We, I, we've I, seen what they're like in the European, uh, well, in the World Cups <laughs> as well and everything. It's just... To take off my journalist hat a little bit again and to speak to you as a civilian, um, neutral venue, neutral venue, the interesting, well, my, I have a, I don't know about neutral venues, but because basically it, 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 that will completely change where I live. 
in the summer, mm. right? So I've got, I've got a lease up until a certain amount of time in Southampton. But if in the next six weeks they go, right, we're going to play eight or nine games for a month in Birmingham, or we're going to play all these games in St. George's Park, and it's going to be five or seven journalists covering each, each club, each club gets three journalists and there's three photographers and we're all going to play these games in Birmingham. They're like, well, guess I'm moving to Birmingham in the summer. Uh, or, but if they say, no, we're going to play, continue, you know, we're going to keep playing these games, but we're going to play them in a hyperloop in the, in the grounds. Then I'm like, okay, well, I guess I can keep doing Southampton. Mm-hmm. Uh, playing in neutral venues, I think, again, hands a little bit of an advantage to the bigger clubs. Uh, and this is not me speaking as an expert. I have a hunch that when you play in a, in a neutral venue, just sort of the, the bigger team or the team with, with, with more financial advantages get, get an element because just the, uh, every sort of team, every, we know teams play back at home for reasons we still can't quite explain despite advancements in travel and whatnot for away games. And, and you know, the, the leading theory is basically when you play at home and you play in a stadium week in, week out, you just have a weird, acquainted perception of environments um so you know players know if i stand in this place and hit the ball in this way it's more likely to go top corner because i just have stood in this spot over and over and over again for hours and end. Um whereas if you play in a neutral venue no one quite knows that so it gets weird um, mm. and I've, like a really good example of that was spurs in their wembley season mm. and you know spurs were unbeaten in white hart lane in their final season and they went to wembley in the, you know, the Champions League games and they went to Wembley for like, it took them like three months to figure out Wembley because you could tell the players didn't quite understand where they were standing. And you, and like, I can't evaluate that. There's no spreadsheet for doing that. And I don't, then, you know, there's not many footballers who can articulate that in a way that you can, uh, succinctly put forward in like a paragraph. But, um, football neutral venues, I think, again, you have that weird sort of everyone's first touch is going to be weird. Um, you're going to see a couple of over hit and under hit passes because they're just like, oh wait, wait, how far away are you? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're sort of reeling back to Southampton now. Um, since you've been covering the Saints, what, what would you say has been your kind of number one favorite thing? Um, I guess that can be anything, you know, Saints related, like Southampton's the city. Um, yeah, what, what would you, what would you say about covering Saints? God, I love Danny Ings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, such a pure love. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, because obviously, you know, when you, when people go, oh, who's your favourite Manchester United player? I'm like, oh, I don't know, because they've just been loads, right? And you just get used to having a certain amount of genius on the pitch that gets a bit normalised. And there were times when I was watching Manchester United during the good years where I just didn't understand or didn't really appreciate a player that with a really good first touch. Whereas, sorry for how it can come across as a bit rude. When you watch Southampton, where the quality level is just uh, no, no, not no. the same. Yeah, I know. I get um, you. <laughs> when someone, when someone shines brightly, oh my God, it's amazing. Um, I described Danny Ings' scoring run between like September and, and January is like a, a inferno that, you know, burned my eyebrows off. The other point in time where like, he got the ball. He, I think he had his most recent goal against Burnley. So you know Southampton lost that game, but it was really fun because he tried he tried to do a one two to Armstrong. It didn't work. The ball got loose, and he said, "Well, screw it. I'll just hit it myself." And he's like, "Hit it first time, right foot." I was like, "I remember going, you bad bad boy." <laughs> uh, yeah, watching that, uh, I'm, I'm I'm also loving how, and I've promised I'm you know I try not to say it too much on. Um, 
non-Southampton podcast. I, I love how much James Ward Prowse is a snide. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's he's a proper snide. Yeah. That no one but no one suspects it because he's got a nice haircut, mm-hmm. no tattoos, and a double barrel surname. But he's a, he's an oink. Like a proper <laughs> little. I, I I've watched him now going, you little dickhead. Um, <laughs> but he's my dickhead, so keep going. <laughs> yes. We talked to Crystal Palace fans about him as well, and it's, um, yeah, it's interesting oh, that was on their, their points, like, isn't it? The, you genuinely. Know, the Zaha incidents. I laughed so much. <laughs> like, oh, in, in the press, so much. When, like, just, <laughs> it was obscene how much he wound up Zaha, and then Zaha just could not. Just couldn't get, couldn't get another one. Couldn't, could not. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I love that one in particular because I think they played um, at England youth level together as well. So I don't know yeah. where this has come, like come from. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> um, yeah, I was also, I was also going to ask. Um, so we've been talking about, you know, your, your times G and I've been reading the athletic, you know, you saying you got like a massive database. <laughs> What's, um, what, what would you say has been your most interesting times G stat this season from Southampton? I swear. Don't <laughs> <laughs> you in the deep end there, that question. Um, so, uh, in November time, so di- during the second international break, so went, so, you know, this season Southampton looked awful before the second international <laughs> break came out, had the draw with Arsenal. They should have won. Oh my God, I was so annoyed. Um, and, and then, you know, they've generally been okay and they, they looked, Good, possibly they're a tiny threat of Europa League, but now they're going to settle into twelfth, I think. Um, I remember during that international break, I was in the London office for the athletic, um, just before the Arsenal game, and I was just like on the computer, blah blah. blah. Uh, and I basically just went, "Oh my goodness!" Uh, quite loudly, uh, two or three members, two or three members of the staff like turned turn around and stopped and looked at me and Carl, what happened? And I basically, "Oh, I'm sorry, I just like looked at this Southampton stat." And it's just <laughs> gross. <laughs> um, to which my boss went, well, you, like, I'm glad we put you there. You care about this football team so much. <laughs> uh, and it was, a, it was a data visualization, basically looking at the shooting. And I put this on after the draw, basically, why did Southampton not beat Arsenal? And it's just because their shooting is awful. Um, and it was a, sh- it was a shot graph of just every single shot they had had in the season up until that point. And I was like, oh, I was like, there was, there was like one cluster outside the penalty area, and I know, I know who the player was that was taking that shot all the time. Yeah. Was, Why are you doing that? Guess, yeah. Stop Damn. that! <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, there've been two or three times I've just like looked at numbers. Uh, Shane Long's um, being like the best aerial wins per ninety was really yes. fun. <laughs> uh, so he's, he's five foot eleven, and he. <laughs> Wins the ball a preposterous amount of times in a night. In a night. I talked to his, uh, one of his close friends about this. And I just thought, I'm like, do you know he jumps really high? I'm like, yeah, it was, it's weird. Uh, but like, and I just thought like, going, here's the numbers. He jumps this high and he's just like, what is that? It's <laughs> terrible in the background. <laughs> um, which is always fun. One of my favorite stuff is basically just every now and again, we can like show the stat to the player and be like, do you know you can do this? And then, and they go, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think as well. Um, I was playing FIFA the other day, and I noticed he could jump pretty high um, in FIFA as well. So that's that's worth uh, that's worth checking out as well. <laughs> um, I was just gonna I was just gonna ask. Um, 
you know, so you've been to St Mary's a lot this season, and um, you know it's been it's been a difficult atmosphere, I'd say, you know, the last couple of seasons. What what's your honest opinion on St Mary's as a stadium um, in terms of you know atmosphere, fans as a United fan, and um, kind of you know coming in as an outsider? What what would you say is your honest opinion? It as a stadium, it's fine. It's you know a mid-sized stadium in the Premier League. It's not. It's not um, particularly different from say the King Power. Yeah, Leicester. I mean, it was designed to same same people that did it, wasn't it? Yeah, it's it's every single stadium is slightly different, but St Mary's is as close to an identical stadium in the Premier League as you can get, and I hope that doesn't come across too harsh. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, and and the fan base, I think that was the thing that took a while to get used to. Because again, I thought I, rem- I remember very clearly Alan Pardew saying when he became Newcastle manager, Alan Pardew saying um, he made a comment about Southampton's academy, saying it was better because basically Southampton's just more middle class. And like you said, you know, there's just more the the, the academy players Southampton create are just smarter than the Newcastle ones because Southampton's more middle class, and that stuck with me for a while. Just like that's a weird thing. Mm. Uh, and I remember pitching it to, I mean, I remember pitching it to my boss, like, is there a way I can research this? And he went, well, kind of. Like, look into what schools the academy players go to. Um, so, which I wrote that to a lesser degree. Um, and, you know, again, went to Southampton, I thought, you know, the club was, would be largely a middle class prawn sandwiches fan base. And then <laughs> you watch a game at St. Mary's, I'm like, oh, you are lifers. We're talking. Pie and Bovril. Yeah, Pie Bovril, solid pints. One thing I find quite interesting is sort of like the friction there of just there, there is, you know, they're part, you know, like every Premier League club, they, they want to put on high end hospitality uh, and uh, luxury suites and whatnot. Uh, and, you know, every, every football club has a, a beer on tap that costs seven quid. In the Premier League, <laughs> uh, and I remember the start of seeing just how many Southampton fans were really mad at that. Uh, how are you charging five quid for a beer, Southampton? I remember going, "It's five quid for a beer." My London brain didn't think that was wrong, um, <laughs> but just seeing that like gap between price points of the club and the fan base really. I went, oh, this is the fans. This, this is these are the people that really care. But this believe is- it though. But when we have like any fan forums with the with the board, that's usually the, one of the questions that gets asked all the time. Like, are you going to lower the prices on the concourse? <laughs> are we going to be able to get a pint, a, a pint, a pint for less than a fiver? It's just always the same question. So yeah, something that we're quite passionate about, I think. <laughs> I think I think that that made a thing. I, I do think at the start of the season, the St Mary's was quiet, and obviously it, it reached tipping point in 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 December because obviously they hadn't won any games. And it's that thing of oh my god, the, the fans are really really quiet. And then you're going well, they've won 15 games out of 62 at home over the last three years. Going into Southampton one, Chelsea four, uh, near the start of the season, uh, it was 15 wins out of 62 at home. That's so on average, <laughs> on average, basically since, since Kuman left, um, since Kuman left, Southampton win five games at home. Wow. Per, per season, per season. And I'm like, well, no wonder the fans are quiet. I'm like, why on earth are you buying season tickets when you're going to see a team win five times at home? Um, mm. Was like, a, I remember like spending a week just talking to fans, going, "Why do you keep spending this money?" <laughs> <laughs> um, to which you, know, you get, that's what you're supposed to do. You support your team through thick and thin, and it just seems to be a bit thin right now. Mm-hmm. 
and I know I've, I've, you know, I've been there in moments, you know, I was, I was there during that game. I saw fans leave at 3-0. I saw fans walk out at 5-0 at halftime. Um, I heard the adage 3-0 down, go back to town. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and so fans have a nice, there's a good self-deprecation streak there too. Um, but I do remember the noise the crowd made when James Ward Prowse whipped in that free kick to make it 2-1 against Watford. And I was <laughs> like, there it is. Yeah. That's what. And I've, 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 I've heard Southampton fans outsing Manchester City fans in the Etihad. So, um, yeah, the awful the way fans when they chant yellow and whatnot are, are really, really good. And, and you know, I was at Fratton Park, so wow, <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll start with Freddie Bailey on Instagram. He wants to know: Do you think any of the fringe players will be sold? Uh, there's, there's there's a lot of players Southampton would like to sell, and that has been said quite loudly by senior management figures. So I you know, Toby Steele, when when the last financial report came out, Toby Steele basically went, you know, we went from making a 40 million profit to a 30 million loss because the season before we sold Roger Van Dijk for 75. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this season we've got, he said, I think he made, you know, he, he, he made comments along the lines of this season, we've got like a hundred million worth of assets. We'd prefer to sell, but is currently online. Uh, I think, yeah, I think I'm probably, I probably, I wrote this after the 1-1 one, one draw against Wolves with basically, you know, Southampton used to be the, the model of a selling club, whereas, you know, they're in this weird state where they're a selling club with no one really to sell. Um, and some players that, you know, that aren't really suitable for, for Ref Hassel's desires that like he need, he wants to move on, but can't quite yet. Um, yeah, there's four or five players that, are definitely going to be on the transfer market this summer that I think Ralph Hustle would like to get move on. But I think quite a few of those players will probably sold at a loss. Oh, yeah. Which, yeah, which yeah. Uh, makes things difficult. And also, like, oh, oh, the transfer window is going to be very, very weird. Mm. I don't know when it's going to happen because uh, of the seasons, but you're going to see one of the weirdest transfer windows you've ever seen in your life. Yes. Uh, there's, there's a lot of evidence. Um, and a lot of talk of basically we're going to, there's going to be a lot of free signings. There's going to be a lot of Bosmans. Um, it's going to be a lot of weird wages. Uh, and we might basically get to return of like bartering and trading, um, and, uh, player swaps, mm. which, uh, I mean, there, there can be a right hassle to get sought out in terms of contract stuff, but you might just basically see players, you know, football clubs go, I, look, I need a left back. I'll give you this spare midfielder I've got. <laughs> If you give your left back, um, I think you might see a lot of that happen. Okay, um, we got one from from Matt Markstein. Uh, the, the burning question that we all want answering. <laughs> um, you have to give up one for a week uh, in quarantine: banana bread making, alcohol, reading, or video games. Um, well, I just got a brand new Star Wars game, so I'm going to give up alcohol for a week because oh. I'm hungover. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I'm hungover, so I need to give up alcohol for a week. <laughs> Okay, uh, Andrew Dean on Twitter asks, will Carl be allowed to all the remaining games, assuming they all go ahead? And what do you think of the naff black half on our kit? Oh, that, that black border is terrible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's awful. <laughs> all, all three Southampton kits are not pretty yes, this season. Yes, no, totally um, agree. Um, sorry, sorry, Under Armour. <laughs> uh, and in terms of will I be allowed in the stadiums, I have no idea. Okay. That's that's one that's one big thing. Uh, none of us really know. 
to so to go back to that thing like behind closed doors, I have no idea that. Yeah. So if it, in and that in terms of neutral stadiums and if the games are at St Mary's. I mean, is it that they let in all journalists or no journalists? Um, Hertha Berlin had ten journalists and three photographers with on accreditation on Saturday. Ooh, but that was just okay. that, that was just Hertha Berlin. I don't know what went on in the River Derby or whatnot. Um, so, so yeah, and I, I expect that's there might be there might be more. I, and of those ten yards, I don't know where they came from. And it's that thing of there are normally. 15, 16 journalists at a Southampton home game. Uh, would I make the cut if you invite, if they invite 10? I don't know. Possibly. Chris Williams on Twitter says, that's an interesting one. Um, is James Ward Prowse the new navigator? <laughs> no one's not the new navigator. Not even navigator. Um, <laughs> God, like, if you, if you haven't seen it, Leipzig navigator was unbelievable. Um, he could do everything. Yeah. Like everything. He he tackled, he dribbled, he passed, he scored. He he he's the player that you think Paul Pogba was. I said it. I said it. Mm. Um <laughs> But yeah, there there is no new Nabikate because God no, Nabikate was so good. So good. Um, he also <laughs> asks, uh what are your areas uh, for growth next season and will we keep Pierre and who could replace him? Um Areas of growth. Southampton need new fullbacks. Mm. Uh, that's that's been known for a long, long time. Um, and, and the priority there changes. Uh, the interesting thing is the priority for fullbacks changes quite like within a Ralph Hassel press conference quite often. Like he's got he will start a sentence like I need a new right back, and then by the end of it, no, actually, I probably need a new left back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, they need a new left back to to take some of the strain off Bertrand um, and. We'll see about Vokins mm-hmm. because Hassel's gone back and forth on whether or not he thinks Vokins is, is, uh, you know, there have been times where he's gone, Vokins is a young guy who needs to work on his one v ones. And then a month later, he's gone, you know what, actually Vokins is good enough. I'm not sure of that, you know, he said that, that was, that was the four weeks of January where I need a new left back. Ah, Vokins is fine. And I'm mm-hmm. not sure if he said Vokins did something in those four weeks or if, if they simply couldn't get the left back target they wanted. Um, the right back situation is, I'm, I'm not sure if they want to keep, I'm not sure what's going to happen with Carl Peters, um, and, and Cedric Suarez is going to be a free agent. Yeah. And I don't think Cedric Suarez was a good right back in the first place. Mm. I said it. Okay. Um, and, uh, and, uh, Hoiberg? Hoiberg, uh, I, this, I wrote this on set, uh, it came out on Saturday. Yes, I, I have to confess I haven't read this one yet. So. Hoiberg made some very interesting comments in an uh, interview with German television this week where he basically said, I know my plan yep. and and, so, and the club knows it too. Um, and I, I want to win the Premier League and I want to win the Champions League. And Ralph Hassel's a good manager. I don't think he's that good a manager. <laughs> um, I, I think I think a roadmap is being constructed okay. um, for Hoiberg's future. And I think that future will see him not be a Southampton player in 2021. Ooh. No, time. Um, the year I gave. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, how do you think we're going to be able to fill the Pierre Emile shaped hole in the squad? Then? You have to go in the market. I would imagine so. But again, again, the transfer window makes things very, very particular. So I wrote in the article. We we know for a fact he was linked to Tottenham Hotspur yep. on the final day of the January transfer window. Mm-hmm. Um, 
pre, like during a press conference, I was mid conversation with Ralph, and then we all sort of sat in the room as Sky Sports notifications went up on our phone saying Hoiberg's gone, um, and and a, another journalist chipped in, um, Ralph, there's is Hoiberg leaving? And, he, <laughs> and he Ralph went, and Ralph just like gave a very curt no chance. Um, uh, so that was on the final day of the transfer window. We know that uh, Carlo Ancelotti is a fan yep. of him. Um, I had a look at the numbers and. Hoiberg would start for both clubs, both clubs, like on, on terms of, if you like just did the spreadsheet stuff, I'm like, here's what these, here's what Tottenham's midfield do and what they need. I'm like, oh yeah, Hoiberg would improve that. Uh, and here's Everton's midfield and what they do. You're like, oh yeah, Hoiberg would improve that too. So I think he'd start for both clubs. I don't know if Spurs would match Southampton's valuation of the player. Um, and even if the transfer market was normal, I don't think they would match that valuation. Um, and now the transfer market is going to get really, really weird. I don't think that will happen. Or I think there'll be a long discussion over that. I think, you know, Spurs will try and lowball it as they often do. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think Southampton will be very much, we want 30 million ish. Um, <clears throat> as for Everton, I don't know. Okay. Um, Sam asks, uh, as supporters, we often look through rose-tinted glasses. Is Ralph as good as we think he is, or is it just because we've had such crap before him that we make him out to be a god? Here's an interesting stat. Ralph Hassel has won the same amount of games at... No, Ralph Hassel's won... Ralph Hassel and Pochettino have been in charge for 60 games in Southampton. Most people regard Pochettino the best Southampton manager in a long, long time, right? Mm-hmm. So, Ralph Hassel, uh, oh, let me get the numbers up right now. Pochettino has been in charge, was in charge for 60 games and he won 23 times. Ralph Hassel was in charge for 60 games and he has won 21 times. But you would not put those two in the same class of Southampton manager yet, would you? No, of course not. Um, because the fun thing about football is not is not how many times you win; it's also when you win. Um, I, I think Ralph Hassel is Ross Wilson called Hassel the best manager Southampton's had since Koeman, and I, I'm I'm of that belief now. I think he's just passed Puel in the last couple of weeks. Um, I think the way he wants Southampton to play football, if they do that for two or three seasons, they will be fine and will be in the top half of the Premier League table for a while. And he buys into players he wants to do, will be good. Um, even when Southampton were bad, they were bad in a way that was, <clears throat> they were bad, but also the numbers and the underlying numbers and the spreadsheet stuff went, they should be fine later. Um, so, you know, during that really bad run at the start of the season, Ralph went, don't pay attention to the Premier League table. Like, wait until we've played everyone 18 times. Uh, and everyone's like, well, you're mad. You're mad. Like, what on earth are you talking about? And then lo and behold, they played everyone once and they were like 12th. And they, they, I think they, what, they'd lost two more games than they'd won in that weird sort of, oh yeah, that's, he, he knew what he was doing. Um, I mean, you, it, it was painful, but in what they were doing. Um, and I think that's what happens. And I think the, the thing about Southampton is, uh, I've, I've used this analogy for a bit. It's, um, it's a bit like when you listen to a rock band, but then every now and again, someone in the band hits a wrong note. <laughs> and that's, and when that, you hear that wrong note, that's when Southampton concede. <laughs> um, and I think that happens quite often where they're like they're playing a song and then they're like, <laughs> um, and there, there's like a unique frustration I get when I'm because obviously I, I live tweet when I'm covering these games as well um, and there are two or three times where I'll be tweeting and I'm like so Dampton are in the ascendancy 
blah, blah, blah. They, they're in the ascendancy, they're missing two or three chances, and the opposition scored. Which, which, which has happened two or three times. Uh, but a lot of those, a lot of those are like chronic problems that have been about from Southampton since the Cooman days. So, you know, since Claude Puel was in charge, Southampton have had a massive problem scoring goals. Um, but Puel managed to make the defence good because he had Virgil van Dijk. Then Virgil van Dijk left. Um, and then, you know, Pellegrino's management wasn't very, very good. Um, and then the defence, like, copped. Uh, and so you've got this thing of Southampton can play quite good passing football that's can be quite slow at times. Um, and then the opponent will just wander down the other side and score. And that's been going on since Pellegrino. That's been going on since Hughes. Uh, and that still that happened for like a large chunk of hassle, but I think he's getting better at doing it, and he's he's using some very interesting like homemade DIY to remedy some problems that are, are genuinely really really clever. Like there are two or three things they do. I'm like, oh, that's really smart to get around the limitation, and the way he stations Benarek and Stevens, and where they stand when the team is attacking is really clever. Um, it's like a really, really good estimate from Hassel being like, right, VAR's here. I've got two defenders that aren't the fastest, but I want to play high pressing football. So I know if I make them stand this far apart and this high up the pitch, we should be fine and I should get enough offside calls, especially at home, which is genuinely remarkable. And you catch Hassel in a good mood and he will explain stuff like that to you. Um, I think that's cool. And I think there is, there is, but also he has that type, you know, he has a tendency of, Overcomplicating stuff. Oh yes, like like all smart people can do, um, and like Southampton are so bad at a team that plays two up top, because in the same way that Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool had problems before Van Dijk turned up, because when you like in in like a lot of German football, a lot of people educated in German football, and a lot of German managers will stress the importance of one v one, and it's like a it's like a weird rugby style thing of basically as long as every individual player makes all their tackles. I don't like. We should win, mm-hmm. and if that's if that's a sort of like I don't, my back four have to win their one v ones, otherwise this entire system will fall apart. Um, and to find players that are good in the one v ones is really, really hard. This is why centre backs are going to get really really expensive. So Ralph's system right now means like works well if a team plays one up top because you're basically going Benarak Stevens beat up that beat up that centre forward. Yes. Yes. But the moment they play two up top, it's Benarak versus one striker, mm-hmm. and it's Stevens. Striker, and then it becomes an arm wrestle, and you know they're much improved this year, but they're not elite top. They're not top six defenders. No, um, and you know they're both they're both quite young, so you know in their terms of like their career. So when the time they're getting twenty nine, they probably could be there. Mm. But that's where the problems happen in when you play two up top, which is like a really really long <laughs> way to explain that. <laughs> Where, you know, I suppose if, if I told your dad that, he'd be like, well, he's rubbish because he can't deal with a 4 4 2. Fine, yeah, email from Nathan. It says, what were your expectations for us at the start of the season and what were your hopes for Shea Adams following pre season? Uh, so I, the very first press conference I had, uh, I remember walking in um, and I spoke to a Southampton staff member and I've got you predicted to finish 12th. And he went, oh, thank you. <laughs> um, and Southampton are 14th now. Yeah. Uh, uh, when, when Southampton got to halfway through the season, they uh, hit the 18 mark, 18, 18 points played. They they were 12, and I was like, oh, I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I spoke to two or three senior members of the club when things were bad. Um, I, I said, well, I said, you know, in that weird 
nerdish way that that can be quite annoying. And I went, well, you know, so have faith, but basically you're going to be 12 in December. And I went, what? I went, here's, I went, here's the numbers. Here's what my spreadsheet showing me. Um, and like, you're good at this, you're good at this and good at this. And basically here's the run where you're going to get enough points to finish, to end up as well. And it happened. Um, not in the right order because football was never that simple, but and I, no one predicted Danning's doing that, but hooray. Um, Shay Adams, oh man. <laughs> Poor bastard. Yeah. He's, he's doing it. The Sheffield United game was the big one. So if, uh, the example I give was basically Tammy Abraham didn't start the season that well. Well, he, he, Tammy Abraham started the first two games and he was like, fine. And then he got two goals against Norwich. And then he got more goals against, I think he got a hat-trick against Sheffield United. And then he's just been fine since. He's been a bit streaky, but that was the thing. So so when Southampton went in against Sheffield United, they went, this will happen again. You'll get a player, not used to Premier League football, but he's playing against Championship opposition. And he's used to scoring against Championship opposition. So Shea Adams should score against Sheffield United, and then he'll be fine. And he did everything that game for 77 minutes but score. He got a good header. He got a great shot. He did. Uh, he really made Dean Henderson work. He hit the post. Uh, and I was like, this is it. He's going he's gonna to get his goal. And then he didn't. And I was just like, oh, boy. Yeah, it's, um, it's cruel. And his game time has been limited um, since he's, he's not really getting the minutes that... Because uh, of the way Ralph's changed his formation, um, substitutions, he's not, you know, normally it would be substitution on 60 minutes and then in 75 minutes Stuart Armstrong would come on mm. at the start of the season whereas now it's got it's changed a bit so Shea's getting maybe 10 minutes 15 minutes which is hard for a striker to Definitely, get into yeah. it yeah. if you need that um, if you need that little bit of confidence to get you going but I mean he has been playing a lot better lately and as well in his previous games he has he has his hold is he's not as good in the air as Shane Long because Shane Long is really good in the air mm. like ridiculously good in the air um, which causes stuff and I think one thing that I'm gonna offer out. Uh, I think he plays better up front with uh, Michael Buffemi than he does with Danny Ings, mm. which is another thing I, I didn't see coming. Um, yeah, Ralph Hustle's system relies on a lot of direct balls up top and a lot of flick-ons from Shane Long, which is why Danny Ings gets is able to do what he does. Whereas if you do that with Shea Adams in, and Danny Ings up top, Shea Adams isn't the person to get the flick-ons and like prefers it played into space. So that doesn't that doesn't quite work as a strike partnership yet. Um, whereas Obafemi, very quick, likes likes flick ons, likes running into space as well. Uh, I think they have a better partnership up front. I, mean, I think the best the best game for both of them was the two 0 victory over Chelsea, where Danny Ings was like a ten minutes up mm. because those two got on. Uh, email from Simon. I think it's the last email we've got. Yeah. Um, do you think the decision to end League Two this week will have any impact on the decision to continue the Premier League? Or is money dictating that decision? <laughs> uh, in the capitalist society, <laughs> money dictates every decision. <laughs> Workers unite, joining union. Um, I, I think I think the decision for League Two, League Two and League One have been under big. Uh, you know, I think League One is also in in, in speculation of ending early as yes. well. Um, but I think I think there's just there's too much money in, in there are too many interested parties in the Premier League continuing. So I think the Premier League will, will, will go on. Yeah. And the Championship as well. If um, you know promotion to the Premier League is the main prize, that's the same deal, isn't it? It's more than promotion to the Premier League. I think there's, there's some the TV money. Uh, you know, you, I think 
one thing that has become quite apparent during these during the COVID related suspension football is you're now seeing the financial reports and you're seeing how dependent so many clubs are on TV mm, money and, and how many yeah. clubs, especially in the championship, are making that gamble of being we'll spend all this money, but if we get in the Premier League to the promised land, we'll be fine financially. Um and uh you know the the number you know wage wage to turnover. Mm. So you know how much money you're spending on wages compared to how much money you have total. Um, and I remember very, very clearly that when Leeds United got relegated from the Premier League, everyone was going, oh, my God, Leeds United got relegated. And there was 70 percent of their annual turnover was committed on wages. And that was considered kamikaze spending, 70 mm. percent. Whereas you look now and there are there's like, four clubs in the Premier League over 70 percent, um, at least 10 clubs in the championship over 70 percent. And then obviously, you know, things have changed since the early 2000s when Leeds went down and the amount of money that's come in and whatnot um, has created stuff. But yeah, I'm pulling your face, which is not very, it's not very good to do that when you're in a podcast, but I'm sorry, I'm pulling your face. <laughs> uh, right, okay, we've got um, one more question. It's actually from me. Um, we discussed last week, guys, that uh, if we had to complete the remainder of the season as an indoor five-a-side, you know, how would you pick your Saints uh, lineup? So I was going to ask you, Carl, what would be your Saints five-a-side lineup? Oh, uh, so Danny Ings up top, yeah. obviously. Uh, James Ward-Prowse. Yes, same here. You playing two uh, at the back? Uh, no, I do the diamond. Okay. So uh, Michael Cox said you don't need a defender. No. You don't need a real. You don't need a real defender when you do five-a-side because you just need someone who can like distribute and just, be comfortable. Just hold the ball. the ball. Yeah, just hold the ball yeah. up and be so, energetic. Yeah. So. Uh, James Will Prowse at the base of the diamond, Danny Ings up top, uh, Musa Gineppo, and oh yeah, oh, there's a, hear, we're playing five aside, right? Yeah. Are we playing five aside in a cage? Yes. Or not? <laughs> this is this is really in depth. Yeah, we're going to go in a cage. If we're going in a cage, then I want Buffal. Okay. If we're not, I'm going with Stuart Armstrong. Okay. And your goalkeeper? Yeah, Angus Gunn. Okay. Oh, Angus Gunn. Ooh. Ooh. He's good. He's good with his feet. Okay, I've taken the liberty of doing a, a Man United five-a-side as well. So go. I've gone David De Gea in goal, obviously. I've gone Harry Maguire, and I've gone Matic because hmm? I thought, you know, oh, no, yeah, Mat- no, there's no, he's good on the ball. There's, you, pace, no, 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 no. pace is not, <laughs> pace is not really a thing. So I think Daniel James is wasted in five-a-side, and I'm going to go Pogba and Rashford. I'm swapping Matic for uh, Martial. Mm, yeah, Martial, yeah. Well, I thought Matic because he's more defensive, defensive-minded. But if you've got Maguire a, there anyway, he's a, a puncher, isn't it? Matic has a very large turning circle. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, at the base. Yeah. Martial on one side, Rashford on one side. You're having Maguire and De Gea. No, I don't know. If, I don't know if you need Maguire. Okay. That's the thing. So no. Again, uh, if, if you're playing, if you're playing in the cage, I don't need Maguire. But if I'm not playing in the cage, I do need Maguire. If I'm playing in the cage, then I can use Pogba as my defender. Well, Pogba doesn't like the fun then. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Anyway, okay, right, last last thing. No. Okay, we've got a little, got a little uh, task for all, all three of you. There are seven, because obviously you're, you write for The Athletic, so there are, are seven football clubs that are athletics. I think you could probably name all of them. Wigan. There's one. Charlton. There's two. And I just want to say there's only three in England. The rest of them are in Scotland. Oh man! Go on, Kev. You're you're good at this. Um, 
Oldham. Oldham, there we go. There's three in England. Oh. Wigan, Charlton, oh, yeah. Oldham. I know one Scottish one. But, um, go on. Hallowell. Hallowell Athletic. Yes. Steve. But there's more. I'm useless at Scottish football. <laughs> Anybody else? Um, I'm, I'm all out. <laughs> okay, so we've got... They're not a- AFC Wimbledon. Yeah. And you could, not if you could count that, you'd count Bournemouth as well, wouldn't you? But no. Mm. Um, so you've got yeah um, so you've got Wigan Charlton (laughs) Oldham Dunfermline Alloa Fulfer and Annan but yeah Uh, 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 yeah. okay um, anyway our usual two questions to end the podcast Um, would you rather be twice the height of Yannick Vestergaard or half the height of Kyle Walker-Peters twice the height of Vestergaard yeah 12 foot 12 what a life (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's that, that's what I reckon too. I'm go I go with that. Okay. Yeah, you can just give, give you a, a, a smartphone and um, you've got the aerial view. <laughs> 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 um, okay, so kind of mixing up um, our usual question here as a United fan. Um, so, you, would you rather have to wear a Pompey shirt when you're on duty at St Mary's um, <laughs> and the Liverpool shirt the rest of the time? For five years, or sleep in a haunted house for ten years. How haunted? Very. We're talking like like movie haunted. Yeah, I mean the the ghost of um, Gerard Toulier is there. <laughs> um, he, no, he's not dead. Yeah, he's not dead. And, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, the fucker with the bell. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's, your, uh, he's your butler. You know what? Having been to Fratton and having seen how visceral the hatred between. The clubs are in the South Coast Derby. I'm not ever wearing a Pompey shirt. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'll, give, I'll be in a haunted house. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. Genuinely, genuinely the best Derby I've been to. Just never heard some noise like it. That was incredible. Amazing. Yeah, well yeah. done. Yeah. Oh, well done for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, uh, that's about it today. So, thank you so much for joining us. It's been It's been a blast. Yeah. Thank you very much. So yeah, make sure you uh you stay safe and you keep alert and uh yeah, keep up the good work. I always look forward to, to reading it. Um, and I'm hoping whatever you do in the future you'll always keep Southampton close and you'll follow them from afar. Absolutely. Brilliant. It's been a pleasure, boys. <laughs> Cheers, Carl. Yeah, Congrats to the Oh, that's great. Cheers, Carl. Up the Saints. Up the Saints. Up the Saints indeed. Hi, I'm Matt Letitier, and thank you for listening to In That Number. <laughs> Okay, we are going with the quiz. Okay, right, we are going today back to the year 2012. Hey, end of the world. world. (laughs) Okay, so who won Euro 2012? Say your name. Kevin. Spain. It was was Spain. Do you know what? I ain't even got a pen and paper. I normally write down who's done what. Sorry, but... One point, Steve. Uh, Nice. (laughs) Okay, Uh, for a bonus, who did they beat in the final? Kevin. Kevin, just about. Italy. It was Italy. Well done. Very good. Uh, and for a bonus, where? Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, where was the final? Yes. Um, yeah, Kiev. I was oh, there. Fuck off, Kev. <laughs> well done. Um, Kev's won. Uh, not yet. Not yet. Okay. Uh, who won the Champions League? Uh, Steve. It was Real Madrid. It wasn't. No. Kevin. Uh, 
Didn't Chelsea yeah, win? They did win it. My God, Kev. Yes, it was. Yeah. Uh, and who did they beat in the final? Too quick for me. Steve. Uh, Bayern Munich. It was Bayern Munich. And where was yeah, it? So where was the final? Steve. In it was um, in Bayern, it was, Bayern Munich Stadium. It was in Munich, the Allianz. Yeah, well done. That's the one. Yeah, Munich. That's the one. Uh, who won the Premier League? Kevin. Go on. City. Aguero. It was Man City. Yeah. Uh, and who finished bottom? Steve, uh, go on. Uh, probably guessing QPR. It wasn't QPR. Oh. Um, Kevin, go on. Boom. <laughs> no, it was Wolves. Oh. Oh, I didn't even read that. Steve, you know, would you? No, I know. Uh, who won the FA Cup? Steve. Kevin. Steve. Uh, probably City. It wasn't City. Kevin. Go on, Kev. United. No, it wasn't United. It was Chelsea. Oh. Chelsea oh. done the cup and cup double. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and who was runner-up in that final? Kevin. Go on. United. It wasn't United. Um, oh. Mm, Steve, go uh, Arsenal? No, it wasn't. Kevin. Oh, go on, Kev. Was it Wigan? Was it Wigan? No. <laughs> no, uh, wrong final. Yeah, no. Uh, was, uh, yeah, they beat City. Oh. No, it was, it was actually Liverpool. Oh. Who? Liverpool, you know, that team that's top of the Premier <laughs> League. <laughs> um, okay, and where did Saints finish in the Championship that year? Kevin. They were seconds, yeah, that was the year they got promoted, wasn't it? Um, and who was, who was the manager? Kevin. Go on. Our man Nigel. It was Nigel Lutkins. Kev, you're, run- man you're running away with this. Uh, but who was top scorer? Kevin. Oh, I think that was even. Oh, uh, Lambert. <laughs> Steve got there first. I'm going to Lambert. It was okay. I was, I, I was, I was disagreeing with your uh, decision. Oh. Yeah, of course, it was Ricky Lambert. Yeah, and does anybody know how many Sorry. scored? Closest person gets the point in all competitions. Oh, uh, we we'll got that. Twenty-eight. Twenty-eight. What are you going for, Kev? Twenty-five. Uh, Steve gets the point. It was thirty-one. Fucking hell. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, easy. Okay, right. Remember what we did last week. We had to name all the Uniteds, and if you got any in the in League Two, you got it. You got no points. We're <laughs> going to do that again, but we're going to do it with Man City. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How many Man Cities are there? Uh, we're going to do it with City. How many Waxers are there in Man City? <laughs> Sorry, we're going to do it with City. Kev, you go first. Um, Man City. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yeah. Does that count? <laughs> yeah. Uh, wait, so we're saying Prem, Championship, League One. Yeah. Bristol City? Yes. Coventry City? Yes. Ooh. Sorry. Yes, you're right. Guys, come on. This is appalling. You've got Man, yeah. Man City, Swansea Bristol City. City, Coventry City, Swansea City. Well done, Kevin. Is that it? Mm. Are you done, Kev? Ah, <laughs> oh, go on. Birmingham City. Birmingham City. Right. Do you want to go again, Steve? Because Kev did two in a row. Cardiff City. Yeah. Norwich City. Norwich City, well done. There's one more in the Premier League, by the way. Leicester City. Leicester City, there we go, we're firing now. Three more. Um, Stoke City. Well done. Lincoln City. Well done. Fucking hell, that's low down, isn't it? Yeah. There's there's Uh, four left and only one of them is right. I think I've got it. Go on. Uh, Maybe, maybe do, maybe don't. Bradford City? It isn't. Bradford are in League Two. So, Kev, Dang if you it. can get this one right, you've got the point. Um, oh, Jesus. 
Uh, we've, we've, oh, we've got all the premiership ones, haven't we? Yeah. Are you looking for a championship one? I don't know. Okay. It was Hull City. Oh, and the yeah. three wrong-ins were Bradford, Exeter, and Salford. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was good. Salford. That was good. Salford City? Yeah, Salford City. Timbuk Club. Are they not, they're not league? They're league, league two now, mate. They got promoted last year. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so next week we're, we're going to do all the Wednesdays. Portsmouth <laughs> <laughs> um, <Horseman> Wednesday. <laughs> um, right, and again, name the player uh, from these clubs. If you don't get it, I'll put it out on Twitter and in Instagram, etc. Um, Grimsby Town, Crystal Palace, Charlton Athletic, Southampton, Bolton Wanderers, Carlisle United... Exeter City. Um, no, you're not going to get that, are you? No one's going to get no. it. I move on. But anyway, uh, we'll put that, we'll put that out on on our social media and stuff. Um, the results of the quiz. Kev, Kev, you won to uh, seven to four. Oh, it wasn't so bad. Eight four. Sorry, I can't count. Oh, maybe. Was... That's all right. Not too bad. Um, anyway, guys, um, almost almost there. I just want to chat chat to the, about the Bundesliga with you. Um, I, we've decided to pick teams to follow and support until. The Premier League gets oh, back. Yes. Um, well, Bundesliga. You know what? I'm definitely Borussia Mönchengladbach back. Hey, well done. <laughs> um, I've gone Werder Bremen. Uh, currently sat in 17th place, second from bottom, four points from the from the drop. Um, I'm just like, hopefully they can pull it out. I say, I told you, I'm a glutton for punishment. I have to take these crap teams. <laughs> um, do you, can you believe that Claudio Pizarro is still playing? He, he, was, yeah. he was born in the 70s. He's, He's 41. Wow. Yeah. He was getting on a bit when he played for well. Chelsea in 2009. I thought, Christ, they buying an old striker there, an old player there. But, um, yeah, so I thought we could all pick a team and actively watch them and then report back, you know, on the next one. Um, Bremen play on Monday night against Leverkusen. So, but yeah, I, I thought, I mean, Kev, you've gone with RB Leipzig. You've gone for the, the hipster choice. Is that any hipster choice? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think the philosophy and history of the club um, goes against everything I believe in. But yeah. um, <laughs> exactly. I think the, I mean, my, my favourite team is VfB Stuttgart, but they're um, stuck in the second yeah. Bundesliga at the moment. Um, so the only real club I had a connection to is Ralph's former club. And um, I think I've got it spot on, to be honest. Yeah, good, good result yesterday, yeah. Um, uh, oh, Jesus, I watched that. Man. I know. And Steve, your team is, is normally Borussia Dortmund, isn't it? But I've said no one in the top half. We want to have a bit of a... But make it a bit more interesting. <laughs> yeah. So you've gone for Cologne. Gone for FC Cologne. Yes. Yeah. Currently yeah, one, 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 one Oh, they're playing now. Yeah, of course. Nice choice. Nice choice. Um, but I've got a little flow chart here that I thought we could try. I don't know if you've, you've probably seen it all going around online or you've probably seen lots of them. But I thought I'd give it a go anyway, um, just for a bit of fun. I'll start with, I'll start with you, Kev. Okay. Um, right, this first one's a bit weird. But um, are you interested in winning? <laughs> yes, no, or sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. Are you a corporate lackey? You know, if I'm gonna try and end up with Leipzig, I'm gonna have to say yes, but no. No, you're not. Let's just uh, Leipzig's gonna be your team, okay? But we're just gonna do this anyway and see you end up. So you're gonna say no. Um, yeah. It's in the 60th minute, and you're a goal down. Do you head to your luxury car? No. No. Do you know if you'd have said yes, then you'd have ended up at Stuttgart. <laughs> um, no. Okay. Uh, are you uh, insufferably arrogant on account of achievements in the and the distant past? No. Uh, does fascist architecture appeal to you? Not at all. Um, 
do you enjoy uh, experiencing all the highs and lows that life has to offer? Sure. Uh, then you're uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. Oh, oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah, Steve, do you care to have a go? I'd love a go. Okay. Again, are you interested in winning? Yes, no, or sometimes? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do, does losing uh, vitally give, give you pride? Um. Yes. Yes. Uh, do you wear socks in your uh, in your sandals? <laughs> <laughs> I don't wear sandals. Um, I'm gonna say yeah, just because it's a uh, Okay, you're Freiburg. Ah, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, against Yeah, I, I, I remember feeling um, quite excited about Freiburg. They were pushing for Europe. Yeah, they are. Mm. Now, there's a little bit of a technological breakthrough that's going to enable this to happen. So, um, I've got a little quiz for you. Uh, and it's called Torhinen der Bundesliga. Okay, so I'm going to play you... Um, one of the bits of music that gets played whenever um, a Bundesliga team scores a goal and you have to get tell me which team it is. How the fuck am I going to get that? <laughs> just just to guess. I get like one. Oh, okay. Any guesses? Uh, Nuremberg. No. Steve? Um... Mainz? Not a bad guess. Any other guesses? Oh, Cologne. Oh. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he's just said it. new favourite team, Cologne. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I have to stop screen sharing for the next one. Are you enjoying this? Perfect. <laughs> okay. Second one. Here we go. It's got a very jolly German feel to it. Are there any, um, are there any lyrics to this? It might be in a little bit, yeah. Are those the Nyan Berlin? Any guesses? Hadeborn? No. Leverkusen. Uh, that was mine. There we go. So yeah, who sings Pet Shop Boys whenever they score a goal? Amber. No, if you know you're German, you can maybe make out what they're saying. Augsburg. That's Borussia Dortmund. How did you not get that one, Steve? yesterday. Okay, right. I think that is about it this week. Um, unless yep. you want to do a Russian phrase, Kevin, or a German phrase, perhaps, Steve. Have you got a German phrase for us? I can do a German phase, yep. Okay, you ready for this? Yep. Um, okay. Das Eichhörnchen ist eine Nuss. Das Eichhörnchen ist eine Nuss. Ja, das Einhörnchen ist eine Nuss. Uh, the squirrel eats a nut. Yeah, exactly right. It's supposed to be one of the hardest words to say in German. Einhörnchen. That's it. <laughs> it's supposed to be difficult. Okay. <laughs> Just like the Germans saying, saying squirrel. Oh, yeah. 
Squirrel. <laughs> Kevin, Squirrel. do you have a Russian phrase? Do. Okay, so yeah, this week, um, as we're waiting for Project Restart, it's Perizagruska. 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 Perizagruska, yeah, that's really... Perizagruska. So yeah, restart. Um, yeah, which is what I'm going to have to do uh, to my computer after all those wonderful <laughs> Bundesliga tunes. <laughs> okay, we leave with my "We March On" in a in a language that you have to try and guess. Okay, are you ready? Okay. Me yeah. yep. Portuguese? It is not. I did Portuguese last week. Ah, of course. Yeah. Me Menetales. Spanish? No. Mm. Sounds Hungarian. It is Hungarian. <laughs> Oh, How did you know that? I'm no good at languages. <laughs> How did you know that? Yeah. I work, um, I work with a Hungarian, so I got her to translate this for me. I've been learning for a while. Have you? Hmm. Ah, interesting. Brilliant. Okay, right, until next time then. Up the Saints. Up the fucking Saints. Up the Saints. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.